Maybe for some of you uh, watching that video, you didn't see a guy named Ryan, but you saw yourself. Um, I think that this struggle for authenticity hits us all. Uh, there's a story about a woman named Barb, and Barb's life was falling apart. Her struggle with alcoholism was getting worse and worse, and her husband, Ken, was tired of covering for her. But on Sunday morning, she dressed up her kids in Sunday's best and got them to church on time. And they sat in the front pew like good Christians. And the people of the church looked at them and thought, wow, what a perfect, godly family. The row behind her sat a man named Joe. And you see, everybody loved Joe, especially the guys, because Joe was a guy's guy. I mean, he played college football at a Pac-10 school, and he had all kinds of stories about what happened on the sports field. But you see, when Joe left church and went home, he was filled with emptiness because he had a problem with sustaining relationships. He had a marriage, but it only lasted about six months, and he managed to push away every single person who meant something to him because of his short fuse. But on Sunday morning, when someone approached Joe and said, hey, man, how are you doing? He was quick to respond by saying, I've never been better. You see, the thing with Barb and with Joe is that they realize that church is apparently a place for perfect people. (laughs) It's apparently a place for plastic people. So Barb becomes Barbie, complete with her husband, Ken, and their plastic children. And Joe becomes a G.I. Joe action figure. A hero who people appreciate and are inspired by, but ultimately who no one really knows. And you see, Barb and Joe are dying on the inside because, well, they're not made of plastic. You see, churches across the country are struggling with this epidemic of people coming into the church being Barbies and Joes. Everything is about appearance. Everything is about being perfect and making everyone believe that you have no fault, no sin, and no struggle. When I was at Campbellsville University, I came across a woman, and she looked like she was messed up. Um, Whether it was in drugs or in alcohol, I'm not sure. But I started a conversation with her, and at some point in the conversation, it came out that I was going to school to be a pastor. And so I invited her to church with me that Sunday. And she looked at me with her clothes dirty, her face sullen, and tears in her eyes. She said, son, I already feel bad enough about my life. Why would I go to church? And you see, sometimes, sometimes this quest, this journey to become perfect and have this image and make everyone believe that we don't have problems or struggles or sin is the exact thing that pushes people away from the kingdom of God. You see, the main issue with people living unauthentic life is this. It's that we're seeking the approval of man rather than seeking the approval of the Father. See, Scripture is really clear, and it says that we can't serve both the world and the Father. If you really took a look at your life tonight, would you have a clear image of whose approval you're seeking? There's a story in Scripture, and it's about a man named Jacob. And he was smitten. I mean, he was in love. But he was seeking the approval of man. If you want to turn in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 29, um, that's where we're going to start, and it'll be on the screen. And it says this, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. 
Now, I'm going to pause right there. Uh, the first time I read this text when I was younger, I thought where it said Leah had weak eyes, it meant that she needed a pair of glasses. But that is not, in fact, what this means. This literally means she was hard to look at. Okay, Leah was busted. Leah was ugly, okay? Now, Rachel, um, Rachel, it says that she was absolutely beautiful. So if you need an idea of what Leah looked like, maybe this picture would help you. Leah probably looks something like this. If you need an idea of what Rachel might look like, maybe somebody like this. And if that picture doesn't help, you can look at my fiance. She's pretty hot. But Rachel was a babe, guys. I mean, she was beautiful, and Jacob was in love. Going back to the text, it says that Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. You see, right here I want to pause because Laban says something interesting. And I don't even know if um, we realize it, but he's basically telling Jacob, you know, you're not the best, but you're not the worst. You see, Laban is settling for mediocrity. And sometimes when we're seeking the approval of man, we're seeking this level of mediocrity. People will accept mediocrity in your lives, but God never will because he loves you too much. Continuing on in the scripture, it says this. It says, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. I had no idea that Jacob was a hopeless romantic. I feel like I'm reading a Nicholas Sparks book. <laughs> but then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. And I want to make love to her. He was ready. He had waited seven years. Now, if you're a guy in the room tonight who has been a part of a dating relationship, you can feel for Jacob. I mean, this is a place of honesty. You know, I have nine more months till my marriage with Priscilla, and I cannot imagine waiting seven years, okay? Jacob was ready to go. And so he says this. He said, I know, Priscilla, please don't kill me for saying that. It says, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a great feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter, Leah. And brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? You know, reading that text, I try to put myself in Jacob's shoes. I mean, could you guys imagine that? You think you are finally going to get some sexy time with the woman that you love. And you turn over the next morning, and you see her ugly older sister in your bed. I mean, it's awful. And it left Jacob disappointed and exhausted. You see, so many times when we seek the approval of man, the same thing happens in our life. We end up being exhausted from giving and giving to different people. We put on different masks and try to adjust our behavior depending on who we're talking to because we have such a desire for them to like us and think that we're a good person. It's exhausting, and ultimately it leads to nothing but empty relationships. We desire so badly for people to see us, but really what God has called us to do is none of that, but simply be in his presence. God calls us to live a life that brings him glory by the way that we love God and by the way that we love others. You see, God, guys, the, um, the interesting thing about how we love one another as humans is this is that we can only be loved by the depth of which we're known. We can only be loved by the depth in which we're known. 
You see, Jacob was empty and lonely on the inside. And so many of us are in the same boat. We put up these walls that protect people from getting into our hearts, from penetrating us and seeing the ugly, dirty, broken parts of us. You see, Scripture is clear that love covers over a multitude of sin. In fact, Scripture says that Jesus was the manifestation of love. The manifestation of love. Now, I don't know about you, but tonight, if Jesus was knocking on your heart, I don't want to be the person that halts him at the door. The thing about transparency is that that door can only be opened from the inside. And guys, tonight, I want to challenge you and encourage you to get real with God, to let him see you, even if it's not so pretty, even if it's messy, because he wants your heart. Stop trying to live this life on an empty tank and allow God to fill you with his strength, his presence, and his love and wipe off the plastic smiles. I remember a few years ago, I was responsible for planning the games for a VBS group. And immediately, the very first game that came to my mind was hide-and-go-seek. Now, I can tell you guys, as a 20-year-old man standing in the room, hide-and-go-seek is still one of my favorite games. Uh, My freshman year of college, this game was a little bit um, different because my track team decided to play, but we added a new element. Um, We gave the seeker a fully loaded paintball gun. (laughs) It changed things up a little bit, and you can imagine, I'm sure. But as um, we played these games through VBS camp, and we played hide-and-go-seek over and over, I noticed a trend to begin to develop. And so eventually I asked one of the guys what was going on. Because every time we would go to start the game, I would ask the question, okay, guys, who wants to be it? And every time, without fail, I would hear the drowning screams of about 28 eight-year-olds saying, not it. Nobody wanted to be the seeker. And so I said, man, why does nobody want to be the person who seeks everybody out? And this little eight-year-old raised his hand, and he said, duh, Blake. Now, if you guys have never been humbled, have an eight-year-old say, duh, to your face. (laughs) But he looked me in the eye, and he said, we don't want to be seekers because we like to hide. And we like to hide because we like to be found. Deep, right? I thought about trying to find this eight-year-old to preach this message tonight. (laughs) But you know, what he said has a lot of truth. We really do desire and like to be found. We like to be known. And guys, I know that's true because it's biblical. Um, We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that we were designed to know and to be known. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says that the man and the woman were fully naked and they were not ashamed. You see, I think that this verse in particular is one of the least preached on verses in the entire Bible with its great significance for each of us. Now, I don't think it's important because I hate pants, which I do, and I like this idea that they were unashamed being naked. Uh, I don't think that Scripture is saying that Adam and Eve were on some kick-butt diet plan and had great abs, and so they were unashamed of being naked, but I think it goes so much deeper. You guys, we live in this day and age in America where it's easy for us to take our clothes off. It's easy for kids to hop from bed to bed, but that's not getting naked. That's not showing your true colors, showing the dirty parts of you, showing the parts that might not be attractive or appealing. And guys, in this text, I don't believe that it's talking about the physical appearance. I believe it's talking about the fact that Adam and Eve were transparent with each other. 
They knew each other fully, and they delighted in that fact. But then, you see, the fall happened. Sin entered into the world. And guys, we have to remember that the creation story, the story in Genesis, holds deep truth for why we are the way that we are today. You see, I don't believe that God ever intended our relationships to look like they do, to look so fake and filled with unauthenticity. I believe he designed them to be honest, to be pure and transparent like Adam and Eve in the garden. But you see, sin entered the world, and you'll not find one perfect community. No matter how hard you seek it out, you'll never find that one perfect relationship or that one perfect person. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent is talking to Eve, and he says to her, he says, Does God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Well, we know that that's not what God actually says. In fact, what he said is, you can eat from any and all of the trees, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. You see, basically what God was telling them was this, that you can have this feast of food. He gave them this buffet of things to eat, but he said that stuff on the end, stay away from it because it will surely kill you. But you see, Eve responds to the serpent, and she says, Well, you know, God did tell us that we shouldn't touch or eat from the tree that's in the center of the garden. Again, not what God actually said. But the serpent basically said, well, man, your God is kind of stingy. I mean, does he really love you if he's keeping that back from you? Can you really trust him? And Eve starts to buy into what the serpent is saying. She says, you know, maybe I can't trust him and you know what? He is kind of stingy. Maybe I need to look out for myself. But guys, you see that in Scripture is what is defined as sin. Believing and not having faith in the Father. You see, sin says that God is not good. Sin says that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, and sin says that we can't trust God. The serpent then said, you surely won't die. God is just telling you that because if you eat of the tree of knowledge that you will know like him, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God. And guys, that was the selling point for Adam and for Eve, and they ate the fruit. And the Bible says that when they ate from the tree, their eyes were opened, and they didn't like what they saw. It says that they ran, and they hid, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. You know, when I read that, I often wondered Why was eating a fruit something that caused them to be ashamed of their nakedness? And I believe it was because of this. When they ate the fruit, they were trying to be like God. But when they saw their nakedness, they realized they weren't anything like him. They were reminded that they were nothing but dust creatures. You know, Adam's name, Adamah, literally translates to dust creature. And when this happens in the story, it creates this divide. It creates this void of who Adam and Eve really are with their brokenness, their messiness, their sins, and their struggles, and who Adam and Eve want people to perceive them as. Who Adam and Eve want people to see them as. And so many times in our lives we do that, guys. We struggle and we sin and we fall. And we live in this world But we tell everyone else we're living in this world that we don't struggle with sin, that we have our lives together, that we're on the right track, that we're good Christians who never stumble. See, the fact of the matter is what that is is called hypocrisy. And it's the exact opposite of authenticity. And it's not God-honoring in the slightest. 
in the very, very slightest. You see, God doesn't call us to try to put up fronts or have this poser mentality. But rather, what he calls us to do is to be real human beings with real problems, emotions, feelings, sins, and struggles. Because God redeems. God saves. You know, so many times what we do when we try to put up these fronts and these walls that we have it all together and that we're perfect is we tell the non-believer that, hey, you know, Jesus died on the cross, but this is what I'm going to do to be better. And ultimately, God says, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to put up this front or be perfect. All I want is your heart. In the story of the garden, God asks Adam, he calls out to him as he's hiding, and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, I don't believe that the God of the universe really didn't know where Adam was. I have to believe that God knew exactly where he was. But I believe he posed that question to give Adam a choice. You see, so many times in our life, he does that for us. He gives us the opportunity to reveal ourselves. We just have to choose to do so. And when we do, when we, when we say, God, I'm here, it's me, broken, sinner Blake. You know what he does? He meets us with love and grace and mercy because that's the kind of God that we serve. That is the kind of God that we love. See, we learn in Genesis 3 that, that God allows us to hide. There is a quote that I heard one time, and it stuck with me, and it said this. It said, uh, we all have scars and wounds and hurts. And ever since the fall, our tendency is to try like it's our life at stake to hide them. But honestly, it's the exact opposite you see, it's our life that's up for stake if we aren't found. There's no healing in hiding. And you know, I have to believe that's true because I've experienced it in my own life. So many times I've tried to handle sin and struggle by myself in my own privacy of my room. But the fact of the matter is when I do that, when I try to respond by hiding, it doesn't get better. In reality, it gets a whole lot worse. But when I confess my sins to a friend or a group of people that I trust and can lean on, I experience a sense of freedom and healing that I could never get through hiding. You see, I think that's why it's important for us to have community. I think that's important why we should have accountability, because that is what brings up life change. I have a question for all of you guys in the room tonight, and it's this. It's going to be one of two answers, A or B. Okay, so just ponder this for a moment. What seems easier to you, confessing your sins directly to God in the privacy of your own room, or confessing your sins to God with a friend in the room who you know is going to hold you accountable? I think for 90% of the people in the room, it would be the first option, to confess to God our sins in the, the privacy of our own room. But I have another question for you. Bonhoeffer posed this question. He says, it, why is it that we believe it would be easier to go to the God of the universe, who we know, in fact, does not sin, rather than to go before and confess our sins to a brother or a sister who also struggles with sin? Maybe if we believe it's easier to go simply to God, the person that we're really confessing to is ourself, 
And we ourselves are the ones doing the forgiving. And maybe, possibly, that's the reason why this confession doesn't bring true life change. Doesn't bring true life change. You see, guys, when we understand that confession is not just about confessing to ourselves, but confessing to God, that is when our lives can truly be changed. So tonight, are you sitting here in the room as a poser? We all know a poser, somebody that puts on a front that acts like they're somebody that they're not. Uh, somebody that sits in church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and then goes home in the privacy of his own room and opens up his laptop and searches the web for something he knows he shouldn't be looking at. Or, or somebody that comes to church and puts on their face and then leaves the building and, and turns to a bottle because they're too afraid to get real. You see, you might say that you come from a, a private family. Uh, you have to go in for a biopsy, but you keep it to yourself. Your marriage is falling apart, but you keep it to yourself. Uh, your son is struggling with the law and drugs. You keep it to yourself. You know you're going to be laid off, but you keep it to yourself. And you see, I think that sometimes we get so consumed with keeping things to ourselves that we forget that God gave us community. I have a friend, and um, he was raised in the church. In fact, his father was a pastor. And um, like a lot of Christians, he went off to school for college, and he became a frat guy. And he was the kind of guy that would party from Monday to, to Wednesday. He would pass out, sleep all day Thursday, and start over again on Friday. Uh, so eventually, his grades caught up to his lifestyle. And the school actually kicked him out. And so he had to move back in with his parents. And I remember calling my friend up on the phone one day and saying, Hey man, uh, how's it going? How bad is it? And he responded and he said, Actually, man, it's pretty great. My parents are treating me like a prince. I I've got cable TV and Xbox, pizza whenever I want, free rent. He said, It's a pretty good deal. And I said, Really? And he said, Yeah. He said, There's just one catch. And I said, Oh, okay, what is it? He said, I'm not allowed to go to church on Sunday morning unless it's when my school would be on break. You see, a pastor was so concerned with saving face that he wouldn't allow his son to go to church. And honestly, guys, I have a problem with that. And you should too, because of all places, a church should be a place where we're able to come and drop the mask at the door. A church should be a place where we can come and be real. And the reason that I feel so passionately about that is because if you're a Christian sitting here in the room tonight, you've read the story. You know about the fall. You know about sin. And most importantly, you understand grace. You understand that we all need forgiveness and mercy. You understand that each and every one of us is a screw-up. But you also understand that each and every one of us is highly valued and loved by the Father. You understand that this building, because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross, is meant for people to come and kneel at the foot of the cross and be real with real sin, real struggle, real pain, resting in the shadow of Calvary. Resting in the shadow of Calvary. There's a video clip, and I want you to check it out. And May I bring you something from the bar? Let me have a bottle of your best champagne. Sir? 
and bring us some oysters. Very good, sir. I have to say, I was so ex... ex I was happy when I bought you at the auction. I mean, it's very rare I have the opportunity to bask in the ambiance of such a classy lady such as yourself. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm humbled by your... killing me. Oh, uh, smell, that's infection. That's high infection. classness of you. Oh my god, is that a hangnail? Um, captivated by your beauty. Oh. Your bountiful curves remind me of the hills in Italy. I'm sorry. You were saying? Yes, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready to order? Yes, um, I'll have the chicken. White meat only. And for the lady, perhaps a salad? <laughs> perhaps not. I'll have the steak smothered in onions, a rack of ribs, pasta with extra garlic, french fries with lots of vinegar, and a side of onion rings with lots and lots of sauerkraut. Mm. <laughs> we see that video and we laugh. Um, if you don't know what that video is, the video is called White Chicks. And that white girl was actually a black man. <laughs> and it's funny to us because it's so obvious that one person was taking the relationship seriously while the other person was literally making a joke of it. You know, we actually do that sometimes with our relationship with God. He loves us. I mean, he looks at us with these eyes of just pure admiration. And sometimes we put on the plastic and the makeup and we were so consumed with making an appearance of this perfect image that we make a joke out of our relationship with God. We make a joke out of the fact that biblically it says that we will sin, that we will stumble. And because of that, Jesus came and lived a life on this earth. When we try to act like we're perfect, like we have it all together, we're basically saying Jesus' life and death on the cross was pointless because we didn't need it. You guys, the fact of the matter is we need it, each and every one of us, because we're all sinners. You know, this message, this message was a hard one for me to prepare because this was kind of one of those messages where God preached it to me before I had to preach it to you guys. Uh, I struggle with this all the time. One, because I feel like I'm a leader in this church and a leader in my family and I have a fiance who's relying on me. And so I'm constantly shoving down my emotions I'm constantly trying to put on a face and a front and act like I have it all together. But you see, God never calls us to always be these superhero plastic robots. He doesn't. God just calls us to seek his face. God just calls us to rest and rely on his strength and his goodness to get us through the day. See, so many times we try to fly around in this airplane. And when we do that, we're acting like we have these perfect lives that are just filled with no sin, no struggle, no pain. But ultimately, eventually, when something messes up, when something slips, that airplane crashes and burns. See, guys, I don't know about you, but I would rather be walking my life day to day, resting in the redemption of the Father, holding on to his hand, knowing that I'm going to stumble, knowing that I'm going to make a mistake. But in every step, he sees my sin and he fixes it. He helps me. Be a better me. Guys, tonight as the band comes up and they begin playing, 
I have a few things for you. The first is this. Who is it that you're seeking approval from tonight? Are you seeking approval from your friends on the PTA board? Are you seeking approval from those guys you went to high school with? Are you seeking approval from your pastor, from the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis? Or are you seeking approval from a Holy Father who just wants your heart? The second thing is this. It's time to come clean with God. It's time to get real with Him and say, you know what, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm a sinner, and you love me anyways. I challenge you, if you don't have an accountability partner, to get one. Um, Because that's when we truly can see the divine mercy of the Father. Guys, maybe for you, you're sitting in this room and the first step to authenticity for you is saying, God, I need you. I, I have been living such an empty, plastic life. I've been trying to please people and I'm exhausted and disappointed because all I've built are empty relationships. Maybe for the first time tonight, you need to just say, God, fill my life with purpose. Fill my life with you. You know, a lot of us go to church because our parents tell us to and because we think it's the right thing to do. And even our actions that we we have in the church are plastic, are fake, are forced. Maybe tonight the first step of authenticity is getting real with God. Having that real relationship for the first time giving your offering, but not giving it out of obligation, but giving it in the spirit that you might change a person's life through that money. Maybe it's coming down to the altar and praying, not so people look at you, but because you want to humbly say, God, I need you. Or maybe it's simply saying, I'm a sinner. My life is not perfect, and I don't claim that it is. I'm tired of just talking the talk and I'm ready to walk the walk. And I don't mean the walk of a Pharisee whose life looks perfect on the outside and on the inside is rotten, but I mean the life of Jesus, a life like Jesus's, a life like one of the disciples, a life of humility and constant pursuit of the Father. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for tonight and this opportunity that we have in this place to just gather together, Lord, and to hear about your word and your truth. And Lord, so many times I know that we can put on these faces and these masks and these fronts and we can act like we have it all together, but the reality is we all need you. The reality is at the end of the day, we all have sin. We all have struggle and pain and hurt. And so many times we try to hide. So many times we don't want to embrace the fact that life is hard and real and ugly. God, tonight, I just pray that you will allow us to break down those walls. God, I believe that you're calling each and every one of us in this room tonight and you're saying, my child, where are you? All we have to do is say, we're right here. And you'll welcome us with your gracious arms. Lord, thank you for that kind of love. God, tonight, I just thank you for being good. And God, I just pray that in everything that I do and I say, that it's not a front, that it's not fake, that it's not to please people, but Lord, it's for you.
your purpose, for your glory, and for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you guys stand and sing through this song? And uh, while you're singing through the song, just respond however God's calling you tonight. We have the offering buckets down here. We have the communion set up, and the altar is open. During this time, you can respond by saying, you know what, I've never been plugged into a community group, to a church. I'd like to find out more about being a part of Burlington Baptist Church. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, Maybe during this time, you just need to get real with God at the altar. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be down here in front. Maybe tonight you need to accept Christ for the first time in your life. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken, and I know I need you. Would you come into my life and wreck my world in the best way possible?